and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, historical word. To our souls. Lord Jesus, the baby conceived in the womb of your mom, Mary. You who have died and shed your blood as a sacrifice for all of us who believe. You who have been raised and are seated at the right hand of all power and authority of existence. Let us revel in what your mom said. So help me unfold it to the glory of your incarnation, the glory of Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so you know the Christmas story leads us up to this point. The angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah in the temple and scares the bejeebies out of him and informs him that he, an old man with his wife, an old woman who has never been able to get pregnant, is going to get pregnant. She does. Six months later, the same angel Gabriel shows up to a teenager up in Nazareth. And tells her of the incarnation. God becoming a human being in her womb. A girl who's a virgin who has never had sexual relations. And she says, so how is that going to happen? And Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And thus the child that you will conceive that will be born from you will be called Holy. The Son of God. And God will give to him the throne of his father David. So we know that story. Then Gabriel, what he did then was added a confirmation for Mary. Quote, verse 36. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And then we see now in our passage, Mary packs her bags quickly. 
In haste means she is eager to get on the road, a three or four day journey down south into Judea to see Elizabeth. Why? Because she doesn't have a cell phone. That's why. She doesn't have a means to be texting with Elizabeth. Is this true? She doesn't have the internet. She doesn't have an old landline. They used to be connected with wires, kids. The only way she would know that Elizabeth is pregnant is that the angel Gabriel told her. But was I hallucinating? I mean, it's a bizarre thing to be confronted by an angel. I, I would think... And for him to say the bizarre things he said, particularly to Mary as a virgin, but even an older woman, come on, I know Elizabeth's been trying to have babies all her life. It just ain't happening. And so in haste, she wants to get there for confirmation. And when she shows up, as soon as Elizabeth hears Mary say, Elizabeth, John the Baptist about nine inches tall and about a pound and a half, did a backflip in her womb. And we know earlier on in Luke that the angel said, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And as John did that, his mom Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And you got to remember, she doesn't know Mary's pregnant in any natural way. I mean, Mary's clearly not showing, but she knows by the Spirit. And we read in verses 42 to 45, And Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Again, those stunning words of Elizabeth, she knew by the Holy Spirit, you're the mom of my Lord. Dangerous word, kurios. Greek word in the Greek translation, Old Testament translates Yahweh, God of creation. And so this here then, Mary's standing there listening to that. This is confirmation that she needed. And so she now bursts into praise of her God. She's got to get it out. And so this song we have called traditionally within the church the Magnificat. Why? Very simple. Because... The Latin Vulgate, the main Bible in the Western church for well over a thousand years, essentially the only Bible people are reading, okay, translates these original words. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Magnifies is translated into Latin magnificat. It's Mary's magnification, that song of praise and exaltation of the Lord. So, here's a quick overview of what it is. Mary praises from the depths of her heart out of joy to God, her Savior. Then the rest of this song is the reason she does it. And it's twofold. First, because of what 
he has done for me, Mary, personally. Then secondly, because of who he is and his attributes and how he is related to the creation, to this world. That's the Magnificat. So, so let's start with that, that big one there about his attributes and who God is to Mary as she reads about him and knows him through the Holy Scripture. She does magnify. She praises God's attributes. N not, not in some kind of seminary, systematic theology, academic, dry way. God's omnipotent and omniscient and holy. No, no, no. It, she did it as a true worshiper who cannot ignore the nature of God. So look at verse 49. So first she lifts up God's omnipotence, His power, all-powerful, His might. For he who is mighty all-powerful one is what she means. The God of the Scripture has done great things for little old me. That's what she's saying. Then, verse 51, he has shown, shown strength, might with his arms. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. So when Mary extols and magnifies the Lord this way in His might, she means the one who with a word flung the galaxies into existence. And then out of the, 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 the untold millions of galaxies, this little one over here, the Milky Way, and out of the hundreds of millions of suns, there's one little sun around which this little piece of dirt floats. And she says, that mighty God is the one who came down and split the Red Sea. That's who she's referring to. He killed the Egyptians. That mighty one sent an angel to speak to me, a teenage girl, in an out-of-the-way, dirt-poor place called Nazareth. A nobody. Mighty is He. And then she says, and holy is His name. Not only is He all-powerful and mighty, He is holy. His name. She doesn't mean like Bob or Jim or Bill. It's a great name. There's something to that because God's name is Yahweh. But, but at the core, why His name is even Yahweh is it, it means the essence of His very being. His nature. His eternality. His attributes. And holy. In other words, God therefore is holy. The word means He's He's set apart. When you use it of God that way, it means He is transcendent. Far above, far away, far set apart from all else that is not God. He is holy, totally other. And He is holy. And He is absolutely righteous. And He is just. And He is pure. This is what Mary is saying. Then this sweet teenage girl with these attributes of God and His holiness and His power, it leads her to describe the characteristics of those persons who are the target of God's judgment. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down 
the mighty from their thrones. First, he scattered the proud. Pride is the original sin that brought Satan down. It's what he used to entice Mary and Scarlet. No, no, her mother, Eve. You want to be like God, don't you? And she answered, yes. So did her husband with her. And all of humanity was plunged into the fall, the fall into sin and sin nature. And we learn all through the Old Testament and we learn all through the New Testament, God hates pride. New Testament tells us God is against is the enemy of those who are, in the way it means it here, prideful. He's against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Because at the core of the pride, of the fall and the pride that is spoken of here, it is, well, I am okay. I really don't need you, God. I mean, it's great that you're there, and I love the Grand Canyon and all that, but you know what? I'm okay. I'm a pretty self-made man or, or woman. It's nice that you think I ought to be like a child, independent upon you, but I'm doing just fine, thank you. I don't need your welfare. I don't need your handout. That's the proud Mary's talking about. And then there's the mighty he brings down. So that Mary wants us to know, don't ever think that because God is mighty and God is great and he is the greatest, he looks around for what are called the great and the elite of society and the rich and, and the, the haves and the powerful and the Roman officials and he shows favoritism towards those. She says, no. Verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So notice here, Mary Talking about God's judgment says he scatters the thought processes of the proud. He brings down rulers. He sends the rich away empty. The God that Mary is magnifying here is not a passive God, but a very active God. And before any of us 21st century People balk at the idea that, that God is actively coming against sinners. We better be careful. Because if he is not, then the baby that is in Mary's womb makes absolutely no sense. If God is not justly filled with coming wrath, judgment, and condemnation, if that is not a reality, Christmas is meaningless. And Mary lets us know that. But she doesn't just stop there, God's judgment. This is the glory of the Magnificat because she goes on after God's power, holiness, judgment to get to her high point of this song and that is to magnify God's mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment here. Verse 50 and his mercy is for those who fear him. 
from generation to generation. Now, mercy, this word mercy, is almost synonymous with grace in the way it's constantly used, and these words are used. Grace is the favor. He shows favor to you that's, that, that you don't deserve. It's, it's, he's not paying you anything. You don't deserve anything. Mercy is that grace, but with this added little emphasis, you're in a horrific predicament that when His grace comes, it's merciful. It moves you away from the peril and into the good positive grace. So if, if, for instance, judges have mercy at times on the guilty, I'm going to show you mercy. I got great hope and they just make a declaration and reduce a sentence. It's mercy. Understanding God's mercy is fundamental to being saved by the baby in Mary's womb. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift. It's, it's a gift. It's given. It's mercy. So now notice that we can learn two things right here about God's mercy from what Mary says. The first thing about God's mercy is that it is sovereign mercy. Look at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. Now, there's a lot of theology in that that she is pointing to. In other words, Abraham is key to God's mercy. But why sovereign? Because God, from our perspective, out of the blue, chose Abraham. The guy was a pagan, worshipped idols, family business was idol making. And then God says, I'm choosing you. Why? Why didn't he choose his dad, Tara? Why didn't he choose Bill down the street? Why didn't he choose some guy who already lived in the land of Canaan and save a lot of trouble because he wants to bring Abraham there, people already there? He chose him. And then after choosing Abraham, why did he choose to allow that covenant of mercy, promise, to go through him to his son, Isaac, and not his son, Ishmael. And it was to Isaac. Why through Isaac to his son, Jacob, and not his twin brother, Esau, on down the line? We don't know. Other than this, God did choose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name changed to Israel. And he did it because of his sovereign purpose. And when Paul unfolds that for us in the New Testament, he says, if you want to get at any purpose that we can grasp of God, it is this, so that you'll know it is always up to God's sovereign choice. That's his argument in Romans 9, 10, and 11. This mercy is sovereign, which brings to the second thing we know about it, and Mary assumes here. It is a covenant God made. It's a covenant of mercy that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God, by so doing so, with Abraham, remember that day, get these particular birds and animals. God bound himself to show mercy to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there was nothing within Jacob 
slash Israel slash the 12 sons and all of their descendants, there was nothing in Israel that was distinct or that stood out as better than the Chinese or the Indians or the Greeks or the Egyptians or those horrific, murderous, barbarian white people up north. Nothing stood out that caused God to choose. God just chose, and he made a promise and bound himself to it, a covenant with Abraham to bless him, his descendants, and through him to bless all the peoples of the world, all the nations through Abraham. And what was ultimately, we see, being promised was that Abraham, through you, a descendant would come into the world and he will shed his blood as the new covenant, which is God's sovereign mercy to save everyone who receives him. And so Mary sings, yes, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And so brings us to this crucial question now, that Mary causes us to raise, and that is this, who are those persons who are receiving mercy? When we look at Mary's words here, she's very helpful in helping us say, oh, those are the objects of God's mercy, as opposed to others. But I'll go there in a few minutes. First, let's ponder Mary. Look at verse 42. Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Mary says in verse 48, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Boy, was she right. I don't know. I might see Christmas lights tonight. I love to see manger scenes. She's a household name. She's blessed. Now, as a Roman Catholic child growing up, I was raised not only to pray to God, I was raised to pray to Mary, to Hail Mary. H-A-I-L, Hail, to hail a cab, to call a cab, to call upon Mary. Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. I was taught to pray that way. The whole rosary is mainly Hail Mary's. And then that's why you go through and then it's time for the Our Father. Is Mary unique? Yes, she is. There is only one person, one human being in all of history who has given birth 
to the second person of the Holy Trinity. That's unique. But what has developed over the centuries within the Western church are a number of bad, plain wrong, unbiblical doctrines that exalt Mary as morally unique, and thus who ought to be venerated and prayed to. For instance, the Roman Catholic doctrine, which developed through centuries, but actually never became an official doctrine until the year 1854, is the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. I mean, immaculate, spotless conception of that baby. No stain of sin on that baby. This doctrine of the Immaculate Conception does not have to do with the baby within Mary's womb. It has to do with Mary as a baby in her mother's womb. Born, they say, without original sin. And connected to that doctrine is the doctrine of Mary's perpetual virginity, that after she gave birth, to Jesus, she was still a virgin, and she remained a virgin throughout her whole life, never had any other children, which is just blatantly unbiblical. Connected to that, not only is she born without original sin, she never fell into sin, she was sinless throughout her life, and at her, no death, no decay of body, she, it's called the assumption of Mary into heaven bodily. These teachings have no basis in our text or anywhere else in the New Testament. Beyond that, Mary is not a dispenser of grace to others. Like us, she's a recipient of grace. As Gabriel said to her, O oh, favored one. It's literally graced one. God has shown grace. This is grace. Don't be fearful. God's coming with grace to you. Unbounded grace. Every human being since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden has been born into sin, sin nature, except the baby in Mary's womb. And what is stunning about the Magnificat that Luke gives to us is that Luke goes on in his gospel narrative to quote Jesus in his words, you be the but almost sound like a warning against excessive veneration of Mary. In chapter 11 of Luke, we read this starting with verse 27. As he, that is Jesus, said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. It's Mary. But Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Or Luke 8, 19 to 21 we read. Then Jesus' mother, it's Mary, and his brothers came to him. But they could not reach Jesus because of the crowd. And he was told, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Okay. Now, let me just say this. 
It is definitely and absolutely true that we should not fail to admire Abraham's faith or Abel's faith or David, that sinner's faith. And we certainly should not fail to admire God's sovereign choice of Mary to bear the second person of the Trinity and bring to him true humanity and to call her blessed as a believer. She's there years later in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Not only did God incarnate himself in this one and only particular person, but the beauty of God's grace shows itself as Mary deeply exalts from her heart. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, from sin. What else is she being saved from? She, in this Magnificat, is an example of every person who is an object of God's mercy like Mary. She and they recognize the sweet truth of their need for God to save them. God's mercy is for everyone who genuinely calls upon Him to be saved. Here's Mary, even though she's a sweet Jewish young girl, Bible-saturated, she got this truth. God's mercy to me. He's the Savior. Are you under God's mercy? That's the question at Christmas time. Is He your Savior? See, Mary helps us a little further now because another characteristic she shows us here is that those who are objects of God's mercy, they seek God in His Word. They love Scripture. Mary was permeated with Bible. I'm not going to go read it, but if you turned to 1 Samuel 2, Hannah's prayer, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, who's been barren and can have a child and pleading, and you go turn to that, you will notice so much similarity between Hannah's prayer and Mary's Magnificat. It's not an accident. She knew it backward and forward. She meditated upon it as a young Jewish girl. So when we hear this Magnificat, yes, the Holy Spirit is here. Yes, these miracles happen. And as she comes out with these words, it is no accident. Mary is filled with Scripture. And she exalts in God her Savior. And she makes it very clear that God's mercy is for those who fear Him. Verse 50. Fearing God language is all over the New Testament. It means at its core, those who have eyes of the heart to see, to see reality and to thus live in the light of the reality that God exists. And He is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and holy and just and merciful. 
So like Mary, recipients of mercy, they see themselves as lowly, happy slaves. Her desire to not be free, but to be owned by a master was deep and deeply satisfying. Not an abusive master, the most loving ever. All her needs taken care of. Security unimaginable than living out on the street corner every day trying to find day labor to survive. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his slave. That's really what it means. Just slave culture like most of world history. Dules, the feminine of doulos, his slave. There's an eye-opening experience of those who receive God's mercy in the Bible, you see it, and throughout church history, and today we see it, and that is this. The closer they walk with God and have eyes to see through the gospel of Christ by the Holy Spirit, the more in touch they are with their sin. And the more they despise that part of them. It is no argument for believers of woe is you. It is a confirmation that you also will praise God, your Savior. As Paul would later say in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, and he means post-new birth. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers it. The baby in Mary's womb will. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who love Him. And so Mary's song rings out to the world this Christmas again, asking, are you? A recipient of mercy that was eventually purchased by the child in my womb. Have you been brought low to see the reality of your true state before God in order to fear Him? Has God's mercy made you hungry? Hungry to eat of the true bread of life. That hunger, that eating is the essence of saving faith. The faith that receives God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Mary's baby will grow up and... Actually, no, not yet. Mary preaches to us. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he sent away empty. And then Jesus would say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they shall be satisfied. Again, Mary says, He's filled the hungry. The prerequisite for being 
filled is to be hungry. If you're filled with your own self-righteousness, I'm okay. I mean, no one's perfect, but we know that. So, But I'm basically good. Then you're not hungry. See, people like Mary, people like Paul, Christians who have had the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ shine unto them and transform them, have no idea how to relate to persons who say, yeah, I'm feasting at the world's table, and yeah, I'll add a little Christianity in here a little bit, and that's good. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, and... Hungry people are desperate people. This doesn't mean hungry because I ate, you know, the breakfast and now I'm hungry by 11 a.m. Hungry. Like most of world history, persons have known hunger. Hungry people know they're gone, going to die, and they're goners if they don't get fed. And it is that hunger and that partaking of mercy that leads Mary to magnify the God who saves sinners. She says again, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is true worship, which always involves more than truth, and true statements, and true words in songs. It involves that, but it involves more than the mind parroting them. It involves, like Mary, the soul, the material, the spirit. Uh, okay, I'll go out on a limb. The emotion, or the affection. The, the affection, what's that? Simple. Define love. Yeah, it's, it's the old joke, right? Okay. That's an affection. Okay, there's an affection where she reaches and says, just my words, just my song, just my mind, my soul, my spirit magnifies the Lord. My whole being, she said, says, God, you're like food to my soul. Our souls are not material. They're just not. Your souls have to flow through your brain waves, absolutely to operate in this world, but there is a distinction between the material and the immaterial. And the Bible talks about the immaterial, the breath of life breathed into the physical. Mary is reaching for that aspect. When it comes to her soul, your soul, my soul, I can't get to your soul through the five senses. It's immaterial. It's that place that makes you in the image of God, unlike all the other biological animal kingdom with the capacity to fear, with the capacity to really delight, with the capacity to dread, with the capacity to have misery, and the capacity to view and be struck by the reality of God's holiness, producing holy fear, producing holy joy in His mercy. That's what Mary is saying as she points us 
to her son. And that, therefore, produced in Mary that day something that couldn't stay in her, but had to come out. The song, the Magnificat. And that's why Christians are, have always been a singing people. Because the soul that is mercied by God, it, it's got to find ways. And there's no better way than God's design called music, song, to sing it out. Mary's song, the Magnificat, is saying to Every person who has come to her son as an undone, needy, hungry sinner, she says, if you don't sing, you better learn to sing. Because all the saints will be singing in the resurrection. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, O son of Mary, for you were slain. By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that's why we love to sing Christmas carols. And that's why we're going to end with a Christmas carol. Whether he was born in the morning or in the night, silent night is glorious. As we do that, you will see that the person on the end will have his or her candle lit and then just turn and light your neighbor's candle. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We thank you once again for the tradition in our culture of Christmas, reflecting more deeply than the rest of the year of the Incarnation that which changes everything, that which makes Jesus unique, distinct, the way, the truth, and the life. May your mercy and grace in the midst of all of our varying lives this week flow deeply into your people, I pray. Amen.